This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast revisiting television sci-fi, fantasy, and everything in between. This week, here comes Tobor. That's Tommy, Professor Adams' nephew. He's quite a kid. That Tobor is quite a kid, too. How does he work? ESP. Tobor has a built-in extrasensory perception. ESP? You mean that kid's handling him by thought transference? Exactly. Look, you know what IQ means? Sure. Intelligence quotient, the rating of a person's intelligence. Well, there's also an ESP quotient. Tommy happens to have been born with one of the highest ever recorded. He can handle Tobor better than you can handle a police dog. Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast that causes robots to go berserk. I'm Luke, here with my co-host, Nodraj. What's real, Nodraj? <laughs> you figured out the secret of uh, Tobor. <laughs> it's robot backwards. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, this week we're watching a uh, pilot, maybe a TV movie. I don't think it actually ever aired on TV, but it definitely it a pilot. It's uh, called Here Comes Tobor. And I don't know if you saw it. There was a movie that came out, I think, a year or two before called Tobor the Great. And I think they thought it was a big enough success that they could do a TV series. So this is a pilot based on the movie that never actually aired because no one liked this pilot. Yes, yes. This, this pilot was uh, done in probably... It says 1957 online. From what I can tell, it was made for the 1956-1957 television sort of season. It was never picked yeah. up by anyone, so it didn't really see the light of day. Um, it was suggested by a listener, of course. So we got this suggestion from uh, old C. Chupac, at C. Chupac on Twitter. Right. Uh, hey, is this our oldest thing we've seen? Yeah, I think so, because it's from 1957, theoretically, 56. And then the movie it's based on was an independent film from 1954. So this is, I think, going back, I'm trying to decide, and I think the last thing we watched it was this age range was probably Ghost of Sierra de Corbra, but that's 1964. So this has to, I think this is as far back as we've gone. Yeah, so we've finally done it. We've done something from the 50s. Yeah, it's crazy. It was made for less than $50,000. And I don't know if you looked into this. Has a completely different cast of characters from the film, except for Tobor. That. Tobor's back. Yeah, I think what, what that, why the reason for that is that they spent the money on building Tobor, and the rest they're like people we can they're interchangeable. But Tobor, we spent the money. He's built. He's good to go. Yeah, it does feel. I I didn't look into it too much, but it does feel like it's not directly related to the movie. It feels like a completely different backstory for Tobor. It feels quite different to me, anyway. Uh, what I read was that in the movie, and someone who's seen Tobor the Great would have to correct me. The kid's name is Gadget, I believe it was. Like he has a nickname, and it's like Gadget, and I think he controls him with like a uh, like a remote control or something like that. Mm. And this, they decided. Not a spoiler. We're going to talk about it that he controls Tobor through ESP. And yes. I don't know I don't know if that is simply just to make make things simpler. Like they just drop that line and then like we don't have to worry about him having controls or something like that. I mean it works. You don't have to worry about any of that anymore. Fair enough. It actually and we'll get into it, but I actually do think it leads to at least one of one interesting moment of conflict in the in the in the little pilot. So we'll get into it. Can I mention one thing? Yeah, go for it. Tommy Terrell, who plays Tommy Adams in this his one and only role. So he made this pilot that uh, that never saw the light of day, and he never acted again. Well, I mean, I know as you were watching, you could tell this was a powerhouse actor with a long career ahead of him. Yeah. I mean, look, it, 
you know, you take this with a grain of salt uh, or uh, a little bit of context is that he is acting like you would you would see kids acting in the 1950s. Yeah, it's just I, that yeah. acting. Is style. that bringing any less or more to the table? Yeah. Well, Jordan, well, this didn't actually technically air on television, as far as I can tell. I do know it was intended to come out in the fall of 1956, had it been picked up. So would you like to hear mm-hmm. what was happening in the world in the fall of 1956? Uh, oh, I was going to say something, but I shouldn't. Uh, I was going to say one of my parents was born. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. Oh, is that true? In the fall? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, this is what was happening when your mom and or dad was born. Mm-hmm. So uh, September 9th, 1956, Elvis appears on Ed Sullivan for the first time. Oh, interesting. Is that the, um, I think that's the waist up one. It must be. It must be. And this is at this point, it may be very sad because like, imagine the alternate reality where Tobor gets a TV series. And then later that year, we have Tobor meeting Elvis on the Tobar show. <laughs> yeah. The Tobor variety show, you're saying? It would have been so, it's, Elvis could have done a cameo. It would have been great. I would have loved it. Yeah. And September 13th, 1956, the hard drive is invented at IBM. Oh, interesting. Now, I'm curious as to what the hard drive actually looked like. I'm assuming now, it was large. Jordan, you're large. holding a shoebox-sized thing in your hands. You should be holding a room-sized device. Right, <laughs> right, right. September 16th, 1956, Australia gets TV. Oh. <laughs> oh. I know the general idea of when sort of TVs and stuff came out, but I guess I never thought about different countries uh, obtaining the technology at different times i believe this is when they started broadcasting television there was no broadcast television previous to this apparently mm-hmm. october 5th 1956 cecil b demille's the ten commandments premieres oh yeah 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 because that's right it was played it was on tv you ever watch the ten commandments i've never seen it yeah it's long charlton heston right that's right i'm not a huge charlton heston fan i'll be honest you're not not really i never he never really did it for me in that that time period of actors Fair enough. He's no Lee Marvin. You know what I'm saying? You you love that period too, so I have to trust your instincts on it. Yeah, I don't know. I he just uh, he's all right. I didn't write down all the dates, but there were three interesting people born in that sort of September October period: David Copperfield, the magician. <laughs> I don't know why that's funny. You know what? He's so much older than you think he is, huh? Oh yeah, Gary Cole, the actor. Okay, yeah, Gary Cole, yeah, and Linda Hamilton, the actor. I never would have put those three people weeks apart. Yeah. Can I tell you something? And we'll cut this out. One of those people I've met. <laughs> oh, I'm dying to know which one. <laughs> it's Gary Cole. I figured. <laughs> and September 11th, 1956, Jordan. Canadian World War One flying ace and namesake of an airport I often use, Billy Bishop dies. Oh, Billy Bishop. You know, it's funny. I've had that conversation with people. And I, had to, I, I knew who he was only because I looked it up because someone coming from out of town, said, who is Billy Bishop? And I went, oh, I don't even know who the local airport Who is this named airport was. named after? Yeah. Well, now you know when he died. Yeah. And let me tell you, Luke, so far, and I know you're probably finished, but this is my favorite of what happened What happened during the month. This is my favorite one so far. Oh, this is your favorite one? Well, it's because... I think it's, I think it's because David Copperfield's birthday. Oh, I see. I thought it was because uh, <laughs> Billy Bishop died on September 11th, and you never forget. <laughs> That was the first time. By the new September 11th. In Canada, that's why we never forget September 11th. That's right. That's right. Too soon. <laughs> that was terrible. I apologize, everyone. Let's uh, let's move on with the show. Luke, you ever see David Copperfield? Uh, I, I Maybe flipping channels on TV. You never saw him live? Oh, definitely not live. I saw him live one time. Uh, how was it? He put that on a good show. What did he do? 
there wasn't one of the big ones. It wasn't like he was making the uh, Statue of Liberty disappear or anything. It was on stage. So it was a lot of just, can you believe this happened? <laughs> that was his basic thing. He would say that after every trick. Can you believe this happened? Does he also use tigers or he's, is he's not tiger-based? There, It was not tiger-based, at least not the show I saw. None of this is going to be in the podcast, right? I'm, I'm ready to go again. Here is the IMDb summary for Here Comes Tobor. A young boy uses his ESP to control a robot created by his wheelchair-bound uncle, and together <laughs> they combat the forces of evil. Okay, I have, I have a couple things to ask you, Luke. The first thing, the movie is called Tobor the Great, and the TV show is called Here Comes Tobor. What title do you like better? I mean, I'm going to tell you this. When this pilot starts and the first thing that happens is you get a warning to the audience where the Tommy the Child announces, look out, folks, here comes, here comes Tobor. Tobor. I was like, yes, here we go. Yeah, I kind of liked it too. I think I like Here Comes Tobor. And my second my second question is, based on uh, the synopsis you gave, do you think the reason they chose to have the uncle, his name is uh, Professor Adams. Professor Uncle Bruce Adams. Yeah, they chose to have him in a wheelchair was so that it was believable that Tommy would be, for all intents and purposes, the action star. Do you think that's why they chose that? I hadn't thought about it, but maybe? Because my thought was, and I don't mean this to be offensive, is that they were thinking in 1955 or 56 when they made this, okay, well, the viewers are going to say, why doesn't he just go out on his own? Okay, we'll give him a quote-unquote disability so thus the kid who i'm assuming this is for kids this show the kids will have their hero which is another kid to follow in the no adventures. this is for adults in 1956 this is their emotional <laughs> it, maturity in it is clearly not for adults we'll say that now this is for kids yes I, I i you're probably not too far off i hadn't thought about it too much when we when we meet uh professor uncle Ad- bruce adams he's he's working in his lab and he picks up a mysterious signal from the uh south pacific so he, mm-hmm. he calls up the FBI and tells them to get over here and bring a Navy code expert. And I'm just like, uh, Professor Adams has pull. Yeah, he has some connections. They don't exactly explain what it is, but he is sort of pseudo-military, some sort of scientist of renown. Yeah, he's a big inventor for sure. Yeah, that has connections to the military and apparently has technologies maybe the military doesn't have. Yes, Or he's creating them for the Navy, perhaps, Right, something like that. It's ambiguous because, again, it's a kid's show. They just need you to know that he can call the military when needed. Yeah, yeah. He places this call. The FBI and the Navy show up immediately, uh, and they arrive at his very um, high-security facility, which is either— I guess it's supposed to be a science facility, but also could be an electrical substation in your neighborhood. Yeah, I actually didn't realize because what we you get is just the inside of the room and you don't see much probably because of budgetary restrictions. You don't see much of his office. You sort of see the screen he has in his desk and it's kind of all in shadows. But then later on when the military guys do show up, I didn't realize at first that was his facility. Like he has a huge, huge, almost like prison complex that his office is in. Yeah, I think it's just like a it is it's just an electrical substation close to the studio. Anyways. I thought it, lo- it looked good, though. I thought it looked, it looked good it, it for looks, its purpose. It looks very fun. It looks very sciencey from the 1950s. Yeah. Uh, and he's got a great security system waiting them. Like, as they pull up in a car, there's an interceptor ray which disables their engine. They're forced to get out and show their ID to an electronic eye to confirm their identities. And I thought that was a pretty forward-thinking technology for the show with the 1950s. This idea of, like, I remember once I went to a place and I had to have my eye scanned to get into this security place. So it's, like, not 
dissimilar to some technologies we have now. No, for sure. Definitely, you could do this same scene very easily in a modern show, and it wouldn't be out of place. Right. Other than the when they call things rays and electronic eyes. Other than yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, as they enter the facility, they witness a boy named Tommy playing a game of horseshoes with a robot named Dobor. Yeah, and so... It's a great introduction, see- eh? I actually think it does a pretty good job. It shows that they have a good relationship. It's a playful relationship, and they also are quickly able to add in a line, one that Tobor is just better at everything because he's a robot. I think Tommy says because he has electronic reflexes Mm -hmm. is what he says. Um, And then we also get a line real quick from the two military guys that come in. They're basically driving in to talk to Adams. It's Steve and Talbot, right? Oh, I didn't write them. The FBI and Navy I wrote down. Yeah, so... Uh, so they come in and one of them's like, oh, look, it's uh, it's Tommy and he has the highest level. Uh, well, they first they go, hey, do you know about IQ? You know, some people can be off the charts in IQ. Well, guess what? There's this little chart for ESP and Tommy's off the chart for ESP. He's so he has such a strong ability that he can control Tobor with very little effort through his mind. And they just drop it as a line of dialogue. And I, I honestly was watching. I was like, great. That's all I needed. That Tommy controls him with his mind. If Tommy were born 40 years later, he would have been an ESPer uh, working with Nick Fury. <laughs> I forgot about that TV movie. Good call. For all the people who've listened to that one that one little podcast we did. <laughs> they really they really do establish it well. It's like Tommy has ESP, he uses it to control the robot, and that's how this is going to work. It's great. All done with But he doesn't do it the way you might think. And maybe I'm getting too caught in the weeds here. He doesn't do it. It's not like Pacific Rim. He's not moving his arm and then its move arm moves up. He's moving his leg. It's sort of just, it seems to be moving independently of him, but he's sort of uh, it's telling more it casual. what to do. It's more like just yes. being around each other. He's just able to, like, when he has a thought, Tobar will execute it. And it's not like he, like, he it's also like that thing where you close your eyes and rub your temples. And you're like, oh, I'm moving you, yes. Tobor. It is more just, like... He walks near Tobor, and Tobor just, like, does whatever happens. And let's just really quickly, let's talk about Tobor. Can we talk about what he looks like yeah, so people can picture I was going to ask you. I was ask you what you thought of Tobor. I thought Tobor looked great. He looks exactly like you think a 1950s robot would look like. He's silver. I know this is all black and white, but he's silver, and he has a glass dome that kind of goes over his head. So he's got, like, a type of robotic face, but it's under this glass dome, and he's got, like, an antenna sticking out, and he has light-up eyes. Yeah, he has, like, yeah, light eyes. I have a picture cathode, of him on my desktop. Cathode ray tube eyes or something. Yeah, and he's kind of got, like, like a grid for, uh, or, like, panels for his chest. I assume it can kind of open. And he's got that sort of, um, his knees and elbows, his joints have that um, sort of tubing so they can bend for clearly the actor inside. But it, it looks just like you would think a robot should look, and I, I, I enjoy the look of him. I also like the scale of Tobar. He's, like, seven or eight feet tall. He's actually quite right. large. And they sort of get around because clearly it's a difficult costume for the person to move in. So they sort of, I think they shot this as well as you could around around the uh, immobility of Tobor. 100%. Yeah, I mean, it's a great look at 1950s robot. Yeah, agreed. Well, we're both pro Tobor. We're both pro Tobor. Uh, back to the plot of it. Tommy, of course, has uh, top secret security clearances from the White House. So he's invited in to uh, have a discussion <laughs> about Operation Round Trip with the FBI and the Navy. They drop that a couple times. And I love that they just they're just like, oh, yeah, by the way, Tommy's got highest clearance. 
And you're like, what? And they mentioned that at the beginning, and then near the end, they're also like, yeah, Tommy can do whatever he wants. Like, the military's fine with Tommy. And it's like, uh, okay. Tommy and Tobor are basically military contractors sent out on black ops missions for the government. <laughs> yeah, what we don't see is that Tommy is incredibly lonely, and he has no friends, and he never leaves this compound because he's only there with a robot. That I legitimately never comes up. was like, I understand that the professor is his uncle. Are all his parents dead, and does he just live this lo- lonely life locked up here with Tobor? <laughs> That's what I assumed, yeah. Anyway, the the plot of the episode is uh, Operation Round Trip. Uh, a U.S. atomic submarine has been circumnavigating the world and has recently gone missing in the South Pacific. So they are suspicious of this signal the professors picked up, and uh, they watch on what was very rudimentary but very forward-thinking. Uh, the professor basically has satellite footage over mm-hmm. the South Pacific where he can watch the U.S. Navy scramble jets and go toward where they think the signal might be coming from, where they see the the, the sub is floating above water and they're flying toward it, and uh, something knocks out the engines of the of the planes. They they all crash, and it's it's assumed that there's must be a somewhere in the vicinity a much more powerful interceptor ray like the one the professor uses, but like on a much bigger scale that has like knocked out all the power to these planes. And we get to we actually get to hear it. I thought it was pretty well done. So it's like you're watching the screen and see that sort of like. A classic thing you've seen before in movies, sort of like little bleeps, little lights on the, on the uh, on the control panel, and then you hear the audio of the pilot sort of going like, "Oh no, something's wrong!" and they all kind of die out. So not only does the visual of the lights go out, but you also hear that they have lost signal. So assuming that you know, in the uh, friendliest G-rated way possible, all these pilots are dead. Yes, yes. It, it for a very low budget thing, they did a nice job of cutting stock footage of. Of the sort of launch of planes with just yeah. the like audio you're getting from the pilot's cockpit of watching the satellite, this rudimentary satellite image in the press. They did a nice job of like making it feel a bit bigger, the world, than it actually is. Yeah. And they, I like that they, they sped up the footage of the planes taking off. Did you notice that? Well, you got to You can't. It's waste time on it. Yeah, exactly. I was like, well, those planes are really taking off fast. I believe Tommy at some point says, wow, they're really going. <laughs> Anyway, the, the whole group of them decide they're going to head to a Navy base because what they're going to do is load Tobar onto a guided missile and shoot it toward the sub so Sobar remotely can get this sub back under control. So this was the part where, <laughs> I was going to say, this is the part that's unbelievable. This was an odd plan because could they like have put him into a helicopter or a plane or something that, I, I mean, I guess the idea is, a rocket's the fastest way. I believe that is it. It's the fastest way to get a robot somewhere. Can you just be in a in a rocket? Because they don't show... Because the idea... So what they have is they're going to put Tobor in a rocket. He's going to shoot over to the water, crash into the ocean, then uh, surface and have... I think, I guess, on the missile, there's also a raft. It's an inflatable raft. <laughs> then take the inflatable raft over to the submarine to get into the submarine and then check... They go through a whole thing. Can I say that a couple things? Here's his orders. Uh, get in the life raft, board the submarine, test for radioactivity, search for personnel, and then return the submarine to base. That's his five uh, five. That's mission, the plan. Yeah, uh, that is the plan. Yeah. But does this does it make sense <laughs> in a missile? I mean, it makes as much sense as any. I mean, I don't know. Why not? Put the robot on a guided missile and, yeah. like, it's the fastest way to get him there. But what is the one complication, Luke, when they put Tobor in the, in the missile? <laughs> the funniest complication is these three men bring tommy with them obviously because he has top security security clearance <laughs> they load tobor onto a rocket and then they just like all three of them lose track of where tommy is like at some point they're just like hey where's tommy and they're like ah, i'm sure he'll turn up somewhere uh launch that rocket well they're on a timetable so they gotta just do it 
And this is my favorite sequence because they're just like there's this like slight but very like low key. They're like, ah, Tommy's not here, but he'll turn up. The countdown's on. Like, we'll figure it out. And the rocket launches with Tommy on board because he's gone in to like talk to Tobor and get him ready for the mission. And no one's bothered to stop this child from getting on a rocket. Mm-hmm. And as it, as it launches, the professor suddenly's just like, oh no, what if my nephew's on the rocket we just launched? Could he have survived the like power of the uh, thrust of that rocket? And the Navy guy's like, no, no, he's dead for sure <laughs> if he's on that rocket. And like the professor is distraught, and they're like, listen, we're very sorry your your nephew just died horribly, but you need to get back to work. We need to get that atomic sub back. And the professor's like, you're right. Fuck it. Let's get back to work. Yeah, but what I like is um. I don't know if they don't explain why you would die being in a rocket. I can think of a few reasons. I think the show, what it implies is that it'd be a little bit shaky <laughs> because, because Tobor sort of just holds Tommy and Tommy makes a line like you're the best seatbelt around or something to that effect. And so he's okay while they fly. That's the, the explanation rocket. for how he survives. Yes. The, the hug, the seatbelt hug. Can you believe that they put in this pro seatbelt propaganda into this film? Disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Yeah, but it, it's, I mean, it's, again, it's sort of kid logic. So you go, okay, sure. But anyway, the, the missile lands at sea. Uh, they Basically, the professor, this is where he explains all of the jobs that Tobor needs to do when he gets there. And the professor also explains, well, since my ESP nephew is dead, I have a backup thing. We have a control. I have like a remote control where I can spend ESP messages to Tobor to get him to execute a command. So it's fine. My, my nephew's dead. Well, I'll grieve him later. I can use this remote control to, like, get Tobor to do what we need him to do. And when he tries to use it, he or he pulls it out. and He's like, I'm going to use it. And the first thing he's going to do is get in a life raft. And they and like yep. a, a series of lights will illuminate when Tobar. This is how we will know remotely Tobar has completed a task. The tasks you have already listed off, Jordan. Yeah. And the professor's like, oh, look, one of the lights lit up. He's already started. And uh, the professor's like, wait, I haven't given him a command yet. This must mean Tommy's alive. It's a miracle. Like, uh, uh, the world is saved, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I actually thought this was kind of an interesting bit of mechanics they put in if the if this show had become a series, which is if Tommy's in some peril, let's say Tommy's knocked out or he's captured or something, and some reason he can't give Tobor commands, they have this backup that you can control him from. You can't control him from the, the board. Yeah, and I like the illuminated lights thing to be like every command we give him, he'll light up this light when he completes it. Like it was a nice way for people who can't see what Tobor's up to to get confirmation. Like it was a nice way of being like, oh, this is how they understand Tobor's working. Like I, I thought all the mechanics of it actually were yeah. simplified in a way and explained well. And I was like, all right, great. I, I'm following along. It is funny. And uh, look, I'm not saying this is a great TV show. It clearly wasn't picked up. But it's funny to see how something that is nearly 70 years old um, how they can do a better job sometimes than some of the shows we've watched in just dropping lines of dialogue and things that fill in plot holes. And we've seen shows 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s that don't do as good a job as this does. Yeah, I mean, it's not the least clumsy exposition, but like it's yeah. quick, it's to the point, and it makes the show move on. Exactly. So the the military guys and Uncle Professor just sit back, watch the lights light up, because basically Tommy's just running Tobor through the things he needs to do on the ship, and they're they're having a nice time. It's all going well. When news comes into the Navy that the crew of the sub has been found, it turns out the uh, submarine, this atomic sub at some point, its helm stopped responding. And so the crew has abandoned ship 
and set a bomb to destroy the ship so that no one else could get it. So basically they were going to scuttle the ship after they were lost control of it. And this mm-hmm. news is just shocking to everyone in the thing because they're like, uh-oh, Tobor and Tommy are an atomic sub with a bomb that's about to explode. So that's they've set up. That's the new problem now. That's the new problem. And this is really introduced I, what I thought was one of the more interesting pieces of this show, like conflict-wise, is the professor explains that there's no way to warn Tommy. Like they can only basically send commands to Tobor. But if Tobor receives two different ESP controls at the same time, Tobor goes berserk. So you can't be like, I'll just tell Tobor to go find the bomb that Tommy doesn't know about because Tommy's also controlling Tobor. And when he attempts to do that, Tobor will like start flailing his arms around and going insane. As one of, I believe the FBI says, um, as we all recall from that time, Tobor flew an artificial moon and went berserk. And I was just like, so millions died that time, right? That artificial moon, Tobor went berserk and crashed an artificial moon. But but you're right again. It sort of sets up possible interesting things for future episodes. Obviously, they're not going to happen, but it's an interesting idea. And it sets up the parameters how Tobor can and can't work. And again, I think, I think they did a pretty good job of it. So basically, it also allows you to have characters sitting at the desk they go well i guess we'll just wait and see what happens and let it be the tommy tobor show yeah exactly and in this in this particular case they're like well we have no choice i the professor i'm gonna have to start sending messages to tobor and it's gonna cause him to go berserk because tommy won't know what i'm doing but back on the ship they kind of it's nicely done tommy's controlling tobar and then suddenly tobar starts flailing his arms around tobar and tommy's like what's happening he's like oh uncle must be sending a message to Tobor right now. I better, I better like try to control my thoughts. And he does a, a thing. The, the only kind of ESP thing he does is like, I'm going to try to like contain my thoughts right now. So they're not mm-hmm. going to Tobor. So Tobor can act on whatever the, my uncle's asking him to do. So Tobor gets the message. He goes and starts walking around the ship and Tommy follows him around. And then Tobor discovers where the bomb is. And Tommy sees a bomb that only has two minutes left. And Tommy's just like, oh my god, I'm panicking. I can't control my thoughts right now. Like, this is, like, too intense. There's a bomb about to explode, now I can't control my thoughts. So what we see is Tobar starts going berserk again because he's getting two SPs. And so the tension, like, they do a nice job ratcheting up the tension mm-hmm. with, of Tommy being like, like, I can't control my thoughts. I'm panicking. And you cut back, and the uncle's just, like, freaking out. He's like, Tobar's not, like, he should have done it by now. He should have he lit this light by now. Something's wrong. And the uncle clues, and he's like, oh, it maybe Tommy has seen the bomb and how Tommy's panicking, so that's why Tobar's not being able to respond. So he turns off his ESP, allowing Tobar to now go under Tommy's control. They get the yeah. bomb off the ship just in time. It explodes off in a big stock footage explosion off the yeah, side of the he throws he throws it way out into the water, so we get to see that you know stock footage water exploding. And I will say, there's a lot of stock footage, a lot of ways to cheat a bigger world. I still think they did a great job with this. Like, it's still like you see Tommy go to a sub and get in it. And like, they've like, they've expanded the world enough to like, it still feels low budget, but it feels like there's more locations than there really mm-hmm. are. Yeah, I'd agree. Anyway, now that this basically problem is solved, we are suddenly encountered by a very shocking turn in the third act. And that the, uh, that signal that was coming in that was seems to be drawing the atomic sub toward it. Tommy looks through um, the, the, what is it called on a submarine? Periscope. The periscope. And what he sees is a pirate ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has a very peculiar sort of uh, Jolly Roger uh, skull and crossbones. It's like its own design. It's not an old-timey pirate ship. It's like it's clearly fresh new pirates on the sea. That's right. So we have, yeah, the, the, the villain that has been creating these problems is, is on site. They're right there. Yes, yes. They've been drawing this atomic sub to board them, and Tommy's just like, all right, we need to hide before they get here so they don't find us. I can hide inside of a drawer because I'm a tiny boy. 
mm-hmm. but Tobor, you should just turn off all your lights and stand in a corner and like hopefully they either won't notice you or not know what you are and when the pirates board the ship, they do find Tobor, obviously, but they don't know what it is. They they assume he's some sort of literal autopilot. They're like, oh, they must have created a robot so they don't have to man it with people, and he's being deactivated in some way. So they're like, we're going to take him back onto our boat. I did like the expert. The scientist gets on, and he's just like looking at it. He's like, I don't know what this is. He's like, did they build an autopilot that looks like a person? He's like, he literally is just like, that doesn't like, what a weird design choice. Yeah, but they take him on the ship. Yeah, they're like, we'll take him on our ship. We'll take yeah. him apart. We'll see how he works, basically. And then the the bad guys, the pirates, use the submarine's radio to broadcast their demands to the whole world. And they reveal that one of them is a man named Admiral Morgan, and the other is an ex-Nazi scientist named Dr. Helmand Ohm. What I like about him is that he, uh, when Mor- Morgan is the one who's making the address to the whole world. Mm-hmm. I don't know how that works. But anyways, he says, uh, he's like, and you all know Dr. Ohm. I know. He's like, I'm like, oh, okay. We all know him. They're like, this this scientist from the war, I, I, ex- I like assume he's ex-Nazi. <laughs> Yeah, well, they, they he has that sort of like uh, uh, German-esque sort of accent. Yes, yes. And they explained that they basically built a ray like the professor has, but one so powerful that it can basically stop engines anywhere in the world. And so they want to get tribute from uh, the world's most powerful nation, America, to stop mm-hmm. to like – they basically want them to pay tribute because they're the new rulers of the world, basically. Yeah, and the tribute is they want all of the gold no? from Fort Knox. No, George. Isn't that it? That is not it because they say they want tribute, and the navy right the navy responds immediately over the radio to say, "We'll never pay you. We'll never pay you for what you want." And the admiral says, "Well, in that case, my tribute just doubled. I'll take all of the gold. I think he wanted right. half originally." Right. So he's going to take all the gold from Fort Knox, and and then they have they explain like I put it here and then leave it and all this stuff. I just really liked when he's just like, "All right, I'm doubling what I wanted." I like the idea that originally he's going to be like, "Just half. I'm a very fair man. I only want half of your gold." <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so he, he has his demands. And, uh, yeah, if they don't do it, they'll disable New York City forever. But thankfully, Tobor is on deck. Yeah, they've they, just, like, placed him there. They've moved Tobor to the ship of the, the deck of the pirate ship. They've left the submarine alone. Tommy sneaks out, uses the periscope to, like, see Tobor, which I guess maybe mm-hmm. this means to control Tobor with ESP, he needs to have a line of sight on him, or at least probably needs to know where he is so he can control him correctly. Right, yeah. And proceeds to beat the crap out of all of the people on the ship as a the robot just beats the crap out of everybody on the ship. Yeah, it's great. He sort of like grabs the first two guys and smashes them together and then he goes over. And they I like that they actually implied at one point I thought he was just going to like ruthlessly rips people's limbs off because they sort of like have him start coming closer and closer to two guys as they sort of cower in the corner, but we just sort of cut to black and I was like, "Oh, I hope he just murdered them." But later on we see there in a net or something like that. But I was hoping it would have just been like, it's a horrible, horrible, bloody death that we just can't show on TV. I liked while this is happening, we cut back to the Navy and they obviously don't know what's happening there. They just got this information and the Navy's just like, we've got to drop a hydrogen bomb on that kid. (laughs) Oh, I should say, Tobor's also bulletproof because they shoot a gun at him and he's just like, don't bother him. Yeah, yeah, you can't stop Tobar. Here, here it comes. But yes, he beats it all up. It's, it, the, Tommy saves the day. He calls his uncle. They call off the hydrogen bomb so that uh, they won't nuke Tommy and Tobar <laughs> off the planet. Yeah. But I was gonna take this back because I think you just said everything's fine. It's not a bloody. Ma- it's not a bloody scene. But when when Tommy calls his uncle, he's just like, "Good news, uncle. We stopped. We saved the day. We stopped the pirates." And this is the literal quote Tommy says over the radio. "Quote: You should have seen it. It was a massacre." <laughs> That's right. That's right. He does say that. <laughs> So I actually but, do think that Tommy utilized that robot 
to bloodily murder all of those pirates. Yeah, Tommy's a sick kid. He had them. He was just eviscerating people and disemboweling them. No survivors. Yeah. But that's that's it. That's the whole show. T- Tommy saves the day with Tobar. The nuclear sub is saved. The atomic sub is saved, and uh, he he doesn't he gets to come home and go on more black ops missions for the navy. Yeah, and I thought it this this moved along surprisingly fast. Um, like it went at a real clip, especially for something as old as it is. Like it just was like, boom, boom, nexting, nexting. You got it. Okay, move on. You got it. Move on. That's that's how I felt about the show. Like structurally, I thought it was. Very well done. Yes, it's a kid's show, and it has some kid logic, um, but I think they get through it very quickly, so you don't have to think about it too much. Yeah, I mean, it's it's solidly put together. Let's, let's write it then, Jordan. Okay. You go first. All right. Here comes Tobor. You know, it's campy. It's cheesy. It's from 1950s. It's a kid's show. It, you're right. It, it moves along pretty snappily. It doesn't drag too much. The tech is kind of fun to listen to them, like, have their techno babble, mm-hmm. how it all works. It's unintentionally funny at many times like just like just the ch- changes in our world and all these things like yeah. make you laugh i think there's at one point oh, i'm trying to remember what they say but it's something very funny where they explain like radar or something and they keep repeating the word over and over again and like even just tommy saying it was a massacre the implication of that is hilarious <laughs> to me there's lots of great little bits in this that are quite fun and funny to watch i i enjoyed it i think this is a solid i'm gonna give it a full solid eight i had a nice time ada I'm going to give it a seven, pretty close. Um, I just, it, the, similar to how you felt, it was kind of just a fun, easy breezy thing. I don't think it's a great show by any means. I think if we had to watch a season of this, it would be painful. And I can see why people didn't want to pick the show. And maybe that's unfair. Um, I'd have to see what was also on the air in 1956, 57. But as a kid's show, I think you could do worse. And I think they set up everything in a logical sense in their in-world universe. And uh, it was a, f- I mean, look, it's it's a faster 30 minutes than some other 30-minute shows we've seen. As a one-off 30-minute thing, I was like, I'm like, this is, doesn't need to be any more than this, but it was a lot of fun watching the setup to this, like, weird concept. You were like, look out, folks, here comes Tobor. I, I'm always saying that now. <laughs> Well, that wraps it up. So, listener, if you want to get a hold of us, you can get us at continuedrag at gmail.com. And then on Instagram and Twitter, we'll definitely have some great clips from Here Comes Tobor. Mm-hmm. Uh, not the greatest quality. It's an old 1950s black and white TV show, but you'll get the you'll get the gist of it. Yeah. Tiny little screen. Exactly. Exactly. And you can find that uh, at continuedrag is the handle on Instagram and Twitter. So, uh, thank you for joining us, listener. And, Jordan, I will see you next week. See you then. Continuum Drag is recorded in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Rex Seedler, produced by Jordan Dulloch and Luke Black. Special thanks to Aaron Hughes.